The following programming is sponsored by Six Feet Over Under Productions. The views expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of this station, its management, or Beasley Media Group. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, who is very proud of himself for remembering who sang a song before we got on the air, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM 97.5 HD2, part of the Beasley Media Group, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Congratulations, Jeff. You remembered. It's rainy outside. It uh, is. I was singing rainy days and Mondays. And, yeah. And then I knew it was the Carpenters. You probably don't even know who the Carpenters are. Well, I'm aware of them, but I, I Not I the find people it, with the hammers, I'm, not the union. I it's find actually it a, funny a music group. That you actually decided to ask me as if I would know before you Googled it. Like, you know you have no chance of me knowing anything. Like, even, like, pop culture music, I've got no chance. But anything, like, before I was born, I definitely have that chance. I, I thought for sure if I said the Carpenters, you'd be sitting there telling me some union number. The, the best part was how proud you were when you Googled it and got <laughs> verified that you were correct in your assumption. I'm, I'm so rarely right. I just yeah, I get very excited when I'm right. You're struggling today, mm-hmm. but we'll, we'll get through the show. There, look. Oh, wait till next Friday. Then you'll see struggling. Why? We'll both be struggling. Yeah. Because the sleepout's next Thursday night. So, all right, let, let's start with this today. We'll get to Keith Pompey talking basketball in a few minutes. We'll get to Dave Spadaro talking football in a little bit. But we'll get to something really important first. So we like using this show and the platform that we have to help others. And, Jeff, this is something you started years ago by yourself for the show, and I started joining you last year. Tell our listeners about how we are sleeping out for Covenant House again this year. Yeah, just so we're clear, I didn't start this. No, you, I, I was I was the the first the one first of the two person of, us of the show yes. that did it when we had Dan Esposito in here, former NFLer, who came in to talk to us about it, and and I stepped forward. <laughs> I I believe the tape shows that you didn't. <laughs> it, no, I did not. But my favorite picture came out of that because your shoe split. No, that wasn't. The, I don't think that was the first year. That was the second year when the Nor'easter decided to blow through and there was a code blue. And you were sitting in a cardboard box with your shoe Well, until it split. disintegrated. Yeah, I remember that. That made for an unbelievable picture. And yeah, then... but th- this is this is such an amazing cause. For people that have heard us do this what, for the last five years now, it is a cause to raise money and raise awareness for youth homelessness. And, and it's not just money to give to the homeless. There's a, there's a covenant house. These kids are brought in. They're taught a trade. They go back to school. And, and the most amazing part of this isn't just the stories about these kids because these kids were dealt a hand that has nothing to do with them. But it's also the fact that the stories that come out of it, the success stories that come out of it, yeah, it's so inspiring. The, the opportunities that, that many of these kids get where they didn't have a bed before. Look, for me last year, it was my first year doing it, and it was more remote. This year, you'll be in person, and I'll be remote again mm-hmm. this year. But explaining to my now five-year-old why I was sleeping outside and how a little boy or a little girl might not have a bed for their stuffed animal made it hit home for me as much as the stories that we heard from the young men and women about what it meant to them to not have somebody there for them growing up, to then have somebody there for them through Covenant House. Yeah, and the one story that I like to tell people about that, the year of the Nor'easter, was people were texting me as I was driving to it because I was at a court hearing in North Jersey that day saying, I assume it's canceled or it's postponed. I said, no. The homeless don't have a choice to postpone when the weather's bad. That's the whole point. Exactly. And, that, and 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 the thing that I get to do, especially after a night like that, is I get to go home to a hot shower. And as I stay, because I didn't sleep a, a whit while I was there, is they have to find some place with shelter the next day and then the next day. And 
when you see that that's going on, all homeless, but youth homeless, the stories about why they've they're in this situation are just heartbreaking. Yeah, look, I, last year I thought I was prepared. I had my cardboard box. I had a tarp to put over top of it in my sleeping bag. And I went to go watch at 8 o'clock as they have you talk to the young people who you're sleeping out for. And when I came back outside in the rain, the wind had blown the tarp over and my sleeping bag and box were soaking wet. And I got to experience what it's like when the temperatures drop down in the middle of the night and all of your stuff is wet. Mm-hmm. And like you said, I was able to go in in the morning and take a hot shower. But I won't forget what that's like, and I'm glad we're going to be sleeping out again. We'll share the link on our social media for people to support it. Yeah, and for those that, that take a look at it, give what you can, and, and don't think that the, anything is too little. Every single bit is used in a great way. Yeah, there is nothing that does not help uh, give an opportunity for somebody that, that you'd want to have for yourself. So, Jeff, good on you for starting this with our team, not starting the whole effort, but having us do it. Uh, We'll leave that there. We'll talk about it a little more next week as we're exhausted after the fact. Let's bring on Keith Pompey to move on from sleeping out to staying awake because you can't sleep after watching the Sixers. Keith Pompey, Philadelphia Inquirer. How you doing today, man? I'm doing well, but I don't want to talk sports now after listening to y'all. Come on, man. (laughs) Well, look, we had to start the show serious. I mean, you've seen the pictures of Jeff out there, and you've seen what the organization does. How important is it for for people to use their platform like this? Yeah, it's great, but uh, I can't now listen to that. I can't make any jokes about, you know, Michigan or anything like that. (laughs) That was Jeff's whole reason for starting the show. So so that's all I needed to do was sleep on the street, and then you would stop mocking Michigan? (laughs) Only for this week. If, if it if it helps, Keith, they played Rutgers last week, so you can you can give him a hard time. On the on the bright uh, side, Jeff had no cell phone reception, so he couldn't text me the score yeah. alerts as Michigan pulled away in the second <laughs> half. Yeah, that's a little bit too easy. Though. That's what I'm All right, well, well, Keith, you you've been a little busy the last couple of days writing story after story, so I'm going to start with your earlier story today, as somebody who has been accused often of overthinking. So uh, you wrote this story that Tyrese Maxey needs to stop overthinking. What is the recipe for what Tyrese Maxey actually needs to do to get back to being the Tyrese Maxey that the city fell in love with? I think they need to take the ball out of his hands. I think they need to get either they're going to get a a point guard or they just say, hey, DeAnthony, you're going to bring the ball up the majority of the time and just deal with it. Because I think that they have him – doing a little too much like now his job is trying to get people involved doing you know doing a lot of other things i i think that he needs to go back and play free now we have to be honest with ourselves and you know when james harden was there it took a lot of burden off of him i also believe that some of the the de- 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 defensive assignments you know people weren't saying okay i'm gonna go into this game and and shut down maxi it was like if Maxie starts scoring, then let's adjust to him. You know what I mean? Right. I think like now he's a, a focal point of, of defensive assignments. But, you know, I, I think that he's not a point guard. I mean, he's a combo guard. I'm not mocking him, but he's not a pure point guard. He's a scoring guard, you know, and, and I think he needs a point guard to get him the ball, to get him in those positions. Another one of the stories you have out today in the second graph, you said, last night was the latest game where ball movement was non-existent, defense was noticeably poor, and hustle was missing. 
This team had 17 turnovers and five, 15 assists last night. That's not going to win it. I get that Doc is saying health, but this team struggled when everybody was on the court to start the season. It just looks like they're lethargic out there with poor body language. What are you seeing from this team, and what are they saying about it? You know, I saw a team that looked extremely frustrated last night. Um, you know, first time I saw guys bickering and this and that. And you are right. Um, you know, it, it just seems like lethargic and hustle. And Doc and them can make as many excuses as they want that, you know, this is a new team. Uh, this is this is this well. The Utah Jazz are a new team. The, the the Cleveland Cavaliers are a new team. You know, you know what I mean? And they somehow managed to get it right. The one thing that really gets me is hustle hustle stats, and that's things that is all about effort, right? You know, like they're they're basically um, tied for last or next to last in the league, and 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 you know loose balls going after loose balls on defense, doing all this other stuff. To me, that's not good. That's telling me that they're not putting, they're not giving the effort that they need to give. And we, you know, we sit back and we talk about scoring points and we talk about pace. But if you're not giving the effort on hustle points and you're ranked towards the last in the league, you know, that's a bad sign of a team right there. It seems like they're not giving the effort that they need to give. Well, you know, Keith, we had you on right after the first game and, and you observed that Joel Embiid looked like he was. He was not giving full effort. Which or he puzzled us for he, game one. He didn't seem enthusiastic for the first home game. It, it, are you seeing any changes in Joel? And is Joel, as the leader of this team, is this rubbing off on the rest of the team? And so as as Joel goes, so goes the rest of the Sixers. Uh, kind of, sort of. You know, I, I think that, you know, um, I, I, I think so. I mean, not really. You know, you know what it is. I, I think that the problem with Joel, he was real. He was real enthusiastic, enthusiastic against Phoenix. You know, he was coming back. He had a lot of ball movement. I felt like yesterday that he was trying to be too much of a point center. You know what I mean? Like dribbling, holding, picking up the ball, trying to do passes to people, and it just looked like he was just trying too hard to be a point guard. Right, as as opposed to just playing a game, um, you know, I I think that you know there is some frustration with him and and other people. Um, I mean, not uh, between them. I'm just saying, I just see frustration, and I just feel like that you know things just aren't meshing right now. You know, they, they for whatever reason they're just not, and 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 I also think that the team isn't just really good right now. So in regards to the effort and all that. I felt like he might have been a little, you know, upset with his role, but now he's getting exactly what he wants. But you got to play. You can't like think that all of a sudden you're uh, Nikola Jokic and you're going to be setting teammates up and doing all types of things. Nah, you just got to play like you know how to play. It it seems like on the one hand, it's so hard for this team to generate their offense. If you l- watched last night, there were times that they couldn't even get an entry pass into Joel and get him set up. Then at the same time, on the defensive end, there's these uncontested wide-open shots where they're literally at the mercy of the other team's ability to sink a shot that night as to whether or not they will be in the game or not. Why is there such a disconnect now between what this team is doing on the court and what they talked about they being able to do with these pieces that were brought in? Because, you know, everything, 
that looks good on paper doesn't always look good in uh, in, in real person. You know what I mean? I, I feel like, you know, a lot of these guys, um, you know, good, you know, on paper, great additions, you know, great this and that, but they just don't fit. And, and then you look at a guy like P.J. Tucker right now, you know, I don't know if it's the knee. I don't know if it's the hip now. You know, I don't know if he's having a tough time with Doc, Doc Rivers' team. Or I don't know if 37 is starting to hit him. You know what I mean? He's 37 years old now. You know, you look at DeAnthony Melton. I mean, not DeAnthony. Yeah, DeAnthony Melton. You know, he's a he's a great defender, but it just seems like you know maybe you know he's he's more of a a six man type than a bona fide starter. And and that's not a bad thing. It's just that he feels maybe a little bit more comfortable in that role. And then you get a guy like Daniel House who's been struggling shooting the ball, but on paper. You know, and as we do in Philadelphia, guys come here and all of a sudden everybody's like, yay, 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 yay. And then when they don't produce, then we're like, get them out of here. But, I mean, it's not quite there with those three guys. But, um, and, and then you got to add Montrez Harrell, but they all have certain weaknesses, which enables them to be available. You know what I mean? So what do you do with it? I mean, do you start playing the younger players again? Does Shake Milton start to get more time? Does Matisse start to get more time? Does he shake up the roster and have the veterans play a little bit less, especially it's a long season? You don't want to – if these guys are already starting to get their knocks, maybe you sit them on the bench and don't play them as much for the first half of the season. I mean, I think you may have to because, you know, right now we're looking at it right now and they're five and seven. They have to play Atlanta again. They have to play Utah. They're playing a whole lot better than anyone expected. And then they have four days to prepare for uh, Milwaukee, who's already defeated them. So, you know, it's like the thing is everyone says it's early, it's early, but you don't want it to, to get late really fast. You know what I mean? Um, it's cause, because these games are going to slip up. And if you notice, he is doing that a little bit. Like yesterday I, I felt like he has in Doc Rivers. I felt like yesterday he had a couple quick hooks on some of his, his other players, like, you know, the, his former rotation guys. But you've seen how Matisse Thibault has been getting more um, burned. You you see how Shake Milton has been playing more. You know, we've seen some Furkan Korkmaz cameos. The same thing with <laughs> Paul. Paul Reed got a lot of run last night. Yeah, you know, so, you know, it's, but initially none of those guys were playing, you know, so – I feel as if that it is starting to happen where he's gradually going back to some of the guys that he had before. All right. I, this is not the Sixers, although this is a Sixers upcoming opponent. Can you explain to anyone what is going on in Utah? Utah trades away every star it has, gets a whole bunch of draft picks for the future. Youngest and, coach in the league. And now somehow is leading the West, has the highest scoring team. What is going on out there? Andy Ainge, he's a great executive. I mean, you got to think about it. Well, he's where, not playing, though. Yeah, he's not playing, but he has a great eye for talent. He has a great eye for talent. He does a lot of things. And I also think Laurie Marketing was a great player. It was just, I mean, think about it. When he when he was first at Chicago, he was the guy, right? You know, I mean, everybody seems the up-and-coming guy. So then all of a sudden they start getting other guys, and then next thing you know, he slides like down, you know, the totem pole, so to speak. He goes to Cleveland, you know, he's part of a package in the trade, but he wasn't the guy. 
And then all of a sudden he goes to Utah, and now they utilize him the way he has again. He also dealt with injuries too. Um, so so I, I think that's good. But I also think that this guy is a good coach too, and Danny has an eye for that as well. I mean, think about it. You know, this guy was the assistant coach in Boston, and every time you watch games, Ime Adoka was standing up there, and this guy will come out and, and say something to him. So you also wonder now, like, okay, was who was the brains in the organization? You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, so Danny, you know, like with Brad Stevens, he went out there and he stole this guy. Like everybody got him. And what I mean by still is like he just took him and no one expected anything from him. Then he became like a great hire. And I think this guy is great. Is a great hire. Now again, we do have to be a little. Um, pump the brakes a little bit because what is it's been 12 games for right. them but, but at the same time you know that they're, they're set up perfectly because now all you got to do is you got Laurie marketing and now you got enough cap space or enough draft picks to go ahead and give somebody to, to, to form a super team all you need is one more player and you got a super team problem how are they doing on finding roles? I understand rotation, but I'm curious roles because Paul Reed came in last night, but you have times where they have P.J. Tucker at the five. Last night they had runs where they had Embiid at the five and Paul Reed at the four. Paul Reed seems to have enough problems being overly aggressive any position he's on the court. Him, Thibel, Shake Milton, how are they doing in terms of understanding their roles as young guys and where they fit in on this team? You know, that's a great question. To be honest with you, I don't think no one knows their roles right now. I don't think Doc Rivers knows people's roles right now. And and that's not a knock. It's just that when your team is struggling and if you notice like you said, you saw you saw uh you, you saw uh uh PJ Tucker at center. Okay, the next thing you know you see you see, um, you know, uh, someone else at center, uh, you, you know, uh, Montrez Harrell. To me, that's saying, like, look, whatever we're doing is not working, and we got to hurry up and find something that's going to work, right? So that's why you're seeing all these different things. I mean, you look at it, the roster, as much as we said last year the roster doesn't fit, it still doesn't fit because you got a guy like Paul Reed who was a power forward in college who's now a center, and now he has to play some power forward. You got a guy like Shake Milton who was a, 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 scored, a scoring guard, and now, you know, you want him to play a little bit of point guard. You know, you got a guy like DeAnthony Melton who's a combo guard. You got him playing point. So, you, you, you know what I mean? So, like, right now, I think they're all trying to figure it out. The problem, and the part of the problem is they don't have a, a, a true point guard on the roster. And you can even say when James Harden is there, he's a two guard who can play point, and you don't have a legitimate backup center. What you have is a six seven guy who can get you buckets and Montrez Harrell, but he has a tough time defending. And you have Paul Reed, an athletic type of guy. He's like the new wave center, but you also need a towering rim protector. They don't have that. Yeah, well, so here's the next question. Um, did they keep the wrong guy? Should the Sixers have kept Charles Bassey as opposed to Paul Reed? Who seems to be playing rather well right now in San Antonio. I think they should have kept both of them. I like both guys. I do. 
I, I do. I think they like. I, I think they should let let kept both of them. I think Paul Reed's a good guy. He's just a smaller guy. He's more athletic. He can do things that that Bassey can't do. But at the same time, Bassey is extremely athletic. You know, I, I feel like you know. To me, I would. I felt like that was bad. Like Bassey only played one preseason game. He played something like nine minutes and in, in, or, or 12 minutes and had nine rebounds, you know, like, and he didn't get a chance. I also think they should have kept Isaiah Joe, you know, so, you know, it, it looks like it, and you're saying to yourself, like, you know, they should have kept both of those guys. Well, is this a situation where the general manager wanted to bring in his old Houston crew and he should have kept and he should have allowed the development of the young guys and his ego wouldn't allow it? I don't know if his ego wasn't allowed it, but it was. I think it was people who he felt comfortable with, and and you got to realize, a lot of these guys, you know, they yeah they were drafted, but they by um, but they weren't exactly his guys, and and I know that sounds crazy because he was the president when they picked him, but the guys that he brought in are guys he felt comfortable with, guys who played well with James, but also they played well with James when James was you know, could blow by everyone when James was leading the league and scoring and, and this and that. They were 3 and D guys who could, you know, knock down spot-up shots for the most point, right? But now you need, when you have James Harden basically injured, and, and, and before that he, he lost a lot of his luster, you needed a guy who can basically do more. I mean, these guys have certain roles, and they're like, you know, I hate to say cookie cutters, but you know they could. You know they're just in a peg to do certain things. You, you, if that makes sense for you, please. What What should we think about James Harden and his health when he comes back? Because last season it was he didn't get a chance to practice and get in shape as much because he had injuries. Is he now going to get out of shape with this injury that we're going to have to go through the rest of the season with James Harden's playing into shape for the postseason? We'll see because you know that's one of those things where. You know, it's tough to determine that. You know what I mean? It's one of those things where I didn't think James Hart was going to come back in this much shape when he came back this season. So it's like one of those things where, you know, time will tell. You know, if, if we if we knew James Hart, and like, for instance, if it was Joel Embiid and everybody in Philly knows Joel Embiid's history, you would say, oh, man, he's going to gain so much weight. You know, you, you, you might hit the panic button a little bit. You know what I'm saying? But, but um, you know, with Harden, it, it's still new to all of us. So I would hate to say, um, you know, oh, he's going to definitely come back out of shape. Well, know? look, if Joe LMP gets hurt again, everybody hits the panic button except for Chick-fil-A that gets very excited. <laughs> so, all right. So, 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 Keith, here's your chance. Here's your chance. Uh, before you go, you're welcome to sing "Hail to the Victors." Hail to the Victors. Yeah, you got it. Go ahead, Keith. For what? For what? <laughs> for what? For, see, we that's uh, by the way. I'd like to point out that's where Michigan is right now. Jeff wants you to sing "Hail to the Victors" for beating Rutgers. This would yeah. not have happened just, years just ago. Just so we're on clear. Show, just so we're clear, they're in the, in the Final Four right now. I understand. Right? Okay. I'm, I'm just saying you asked for All a right. "Hail to the Victor" over a Rutgers victory. I'd All like right. to point that out. For now, dude. Y'all won't, y'all won't be there. Come with you. Y'all, you're not going to be there. Yeah, right. I'm kind of in agreement with you. Keith, thanks so much for joining us. Have a great weekend, and, and let's hope things pick up with the Sixers. Yeah, I hope your fraud squad loses to Ohio State. Oh. They're going to 
See, that's what that's All what right. happened. We let twenty we sh- minutes we sh- of the we interview. We should have hung up on him like felt, thirty seconds ago. He felt ago. much more comfortable mm-hmm. after our emotional open after twenty that's minutes right. of talking Sixers to rip your wolves. Altruism wears right, off. Keith, that worked I well. get it. So I'll plan for that next time. Take a go on, Keith. Have a go on. All right. Bye. All right, bye. <laughs> Jeff, see, that's what it is. We we set him up at the start. He couldn't even talk because yep. we were so emotional with what we were talking about. Then we bring him on and we let him. We just rip the Sixers and ask him questions over and over again. By the end, he's like, "Yeah, I'll go after Michigan. No problem. All right. None at all. All right. All right so your I'm concern level of the Sixers, because mine's rather high. Um, I wasn't sure of the team before. I didn't think know. that highly of them to begin with. Thank you. Well, we, what do you mean? You're concerned. I wasn't concerned. They're playing about what I expected them to play. That's not what they expected. Okay, well, that's that's their expectation. Look, I think that I, was I, I fine. Did, did you really think that this team was going to compete with Milwaukee? Did you think they were going to compete with with any team in the West? I mean, somehow I think they thought they would. No, they're not. I mean, Miami's suffering now too, but the, I mean, the East isn't that strong. It's the West is, that's really strong right Miami now. Miami may not have anybody paying for their arenas and with the crypto stuff falling apart. Yeah, well, you know, oh, that happened with the Astros with Enron Field. If, you always can find somebody else to, to put their slap their name on the stage. want to talk about a more serious issue before we hit the break. Brooklyn? Yeah, not the fact that Ben Simmons isn't playing either. Not so, the fact that uh, Kyrie thinks the earth is flat. See, that used to be the ridiculous statement he made. Now he's just gone. He's decided that he can't keep his mouth shut. So a week later, after last week when we were wondering about suspensions, Kyrie was suspended up to five or six games. We'll see what that ends up being. Mm-hmm. He had a list of six requirements he had to do. He has apparently met with the owner and the commissioner. They say he's not anti-Semitic. Uh, the NBA PA says that all that can be done has been done. Uh, LeBron says he's apologized and should be allowed to play. It looks like in the next game or two, he's going to end up back on the court, Jeff. I'm con- I'm frustrated and I'm confused be- because I don't know how you could tell if somebody is anti-Semitic, let alone if they're not. You can't tell what's in somebody's heart. What you can do is you can tell what their actions are. So I'm not going to say that Kyrie or anybody else is anti-Semitic or racist or whatever hate they have in their heart. But I can't say they're not either. What I can do is see this is what Kyrie decided to post. And I've heard all sorts of explanations and excuses, including, well, he didn't really watch the whole thing or he didn't read the whole thing. That's his fault. Okay, don't put it up. You just don't have to do it. There's no reason for you to do it. I do think that what's going on with this punishment Look, I've told you, I think Adam Silver handled this very well. I think that he thought that the Nets would take care of it better than they did. And I think that a commissioner's job is to let the owner do the right thing. The problem is Joe Tsai has shown time and time again that he doesn't know how to do the right thing. And even with this, he finally decided to suspend him after the commissioner came out with his strong statement and said he was going to meet with him because Joe Tsai wasn't doing it. Josiah's now gone overboard and given this supposed list of conditions which make it look like somebody's got to bow to him in order to fix it. Yeah, you have to report to your boss. You have to do what your boss or your owner says that you should have to do. However, this was ridiculous because Josiah owns the building, doesn't he? Can't he just go in there and say, Kyrie, come on, I want to talk to you. It's an overreaction to a failure to react. Exactly. And that's and, and, and that's what and the Mets making, just keep doing. And the problem is they're making Kyrie into the victim when he is the one who chose to post it and then chose for a week to not acknowledge the pain that people were saying it was causing. 
So I'm not going to say whether it was a legitimate apology or not, but all I know is it didn't come until he was suspended. Right. It as, didn't as come. Soon, as soon as he stopped getting paid and stopped coming on the car, it was when he it apologized. It didn't come when it doesn't all those opportunities that people put a microphone in his face mm-hmm. and gave him the chance to say it. It didn't come when the Brooklyn Nets were cutting off press conferences so he couldn't make it worse. So for somebody who was supposedly ready to apologize, did not take that opportunity until his hand was forced. Right, but but now we're, we are where we are. And so the question is, what do you do? Do you want to be punitive in nature or do you want to see the problem with this is a bigger I society. I want people to learn. I know. It's I a bigger, punitive. It's, it's a bigger societal issue that we all don't listen. We just go to our sides now. Yes. And so as much as Kyrie is wrong most times that I ever hear him open his mouth as far as I'm concerned, the fact is you'd rather him learn instead of just go to his corner and hunker down with his position. So you want him to learn. You want people to talk. You want people to be educated. I hope that Kyrie gets educated from this. I hope that he learns not only the pain that he caused, but why there was pain as a result of what he did and why the things that are in there are false and why they're so hurtful. And if he does that, more power to him. Go back out on the court. Do whatever you want to do. The fact is, Kyrie will say something else some other time. Yeah, I'm not trying to be punitive and say, like, you must be punished. But I also find it arbitrary that all of a sudden you have two meetings and all of a sudden people are putting stuff out and it's like, all right, let's get back on the court. This has been mismanaged since day one. Well, what, what would you want them to do now? At this point, I don't know what else you can do because you've walked it to this point where all the principles— Well, but you, you're not satisfied. I guess I'm just not satisfied with the process to get here. He's going to get back okay, on the but, court. But, I but wish they the wouldn't process have... can't be fixed. That maybe for next time it can, but we're past what happened with the process. What do you want to be the solution at this point? Do you want him to be suspended longer, or do you, or do you think the suspension is long enough? I think he's apologized, suspe- I, and he's yeah. and as long as everybody keeps talking, then, then we found the solution. I, I, that's really where I come down. That at this point, any more days are punitive, and the more the conversation can be about changing the conversation, as opposed to Kyrie is being victimized over this, the better off for everybody. Yeah, because no, that's the important conversation to have: why what he put out was not accurate, and why it was hurtful for other people, and why people need to learn about what was actually in there. Yeah, I mean that. that to me. The, the second biggest sin of all of this with Kyrie is that he immediately made himself the victim. And that seems to be the new thing is, is, hey, I'll say the wrong thing, I'll say the hurtful thing, and then I'll claim that I'm the victim. He was never the victim. What they're doing to him now m- makes it appear that he's the victim, but he's still not the victim. No, he, he's becoming a it's, martyr. Now it's a perception thing. A perception thing. problem Correct. as opposed to anything else. Jeff, let's leave that there. Uh, We'll hit the break when we come back. We'll have Dave Spadaro join us. We'll talk Eagles. We'll talk Union Heartbreak. Stick with us. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. All right, Jeff, we've got Monday Night Football coming up here in the city. Well, thank you for not asking about Thursday Night Football. I really didn't I, care. It was a I terrible forgot. game. Was there, you, all you talk about is ratings. Uh, all I get The ratings are is, down. 
Last night's game had to be like all time low. The, the ratings have been down almost each week for Amazon in terms of who's watching. Now, it, being down, it's still the high one does, of the highest. Does that rated. mean my prime rate's going up now? No, no they're getting no. what they want out of it, regardless of whether people watch. They pay for the subscription. It's a subscription-based service. Once you have Prime, they'll keep billing you unless you cancel it. Right. Most people they won't cancel it. it. They sign up and it stays there mm-hmm. and they watch it. And last week... How about if they deliver me a good football game? Last week, despite the Phillies game going on, I'm sure that lots of people signed up to watch the Eagles play the Texans. Mm-hmm. And so let's bring on Eagles insider Dave Spadaro to talk about what's going on with the 8-0 Philadelphia Eagles. Dave, thanks for a few minutes before the Monday night game this week. Guys, how's everything going? Long time, no talk. How can we not be good? Well, Jeff doesn't care because he's not yeah, but, an but, fan, but, but. but Dave, <laughs> D- Dave, did you have any idea, honestly, that you were going to come on the air after eight games and they would be 8-0? Is he going to say no? Uh, on, no, he might. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it never happened in franchise history until now. So, you know, I didn't really think in those terms. I thought it would be a good football team. You know, I liked, I obviously liked what Howie did in the offseason. We watched in training camp. We saw a good team, but 8-0, I don't think anybody goes into a season thinking they're going to start out 8-0, but glad it's here, and this football team's got more to accomplish. Dave, I remember you came on here right after Nick Sirianni was hired and after that press conference, and you told us these guys are going to run through a wall for this guy. Looking back at that and seeing what he's done since, this was clearly the right coach for the job. What has it been like covering him? Yeah, (laughs) No, I just I just found that that the criticism of Nick after that opening press conference was ridiculous. So uh, fortunately, people got a chance to get to know Nick and see how he operates. And uh, he went through some duress last year and overcame that. And I don't think you could be anything but impressed with the way he coached this football team to the playoffs last season. Um, and then obviously the infusion of, of talent, you know, bringing back an intact offense, adding A.J. Brown, rebuilding the defense, emphasizes just how in sync Howie and the coaching staff are. And, by the way, how good this coaching staff is because they've taken some players who have arrived late on the scene and integrated them very nicely into the defense. And we see just how good this defense has been through eight games. With all the players that have been integrated, let's talk the growth of Jalen Hurts and how good his decision-making's been for a minute. Uh, the Eagles are converting 42% on third-down dropbacks this year. They're fourth in the NFL. Very few turnovers in offense. Can you talk about what you're seeing, the growth of him as a quarterback leading this organization? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'll start with this. If you were taking a language, trying to learn a language, and you only had one year in each language, Pardon me. Would you be able to learn that language effectively? No, is the answer. You'd be taking French one year and Italian the next year and German the year after that. Well, Jalen, for the first time since high school, is in his second season with the same offensive system in place. So he's two years deep into an offense for the first time since high school, and it's made a huge difference. And he's more confident. He's more uh, he's, his mechanics are better. He's making better decisions. He's seeing the field better. All the things we heard last year, he can't throw the ball down the field. He can't throw the ball into the middle of the field. He can't roll left and throw. All of those criticisms have been dispelled, and it helps that you've got a great offensive line. 
Uh, it helps that you've got a good running game. You've got fantastic weapons around you. But Jalen has become uh, a pocket quarterback. He can run certainly when he wants to. But you cannot win unless you are a pocket quarterback. And Jalen Hurts has reached that point. He's defeating the blitz. He's recognizing everything that defenses are offering to him. Defenses have tried to do everything to stop Jalen and his offense. And the Eagles have averaged 28 points a game. And they probably haven't played their best football yet. See, to me, that's the most surprising part and the most impressive part about Hurts. It's not what they put around him. That obviously helps him. It's what you talked about with regard to his mechanics. And it's, it's, a, it's about staying in the system and learning the system. How impressive has it been to watch his growth in that regard? Yeah, for sure. Well, one thing I would say about Jalen, he is very um, critical of himself. And when you are that critical of yourself and you're not sensitive to hard coaching and you're not sensitive to constructive criticism, you, you have a chance to really improve. And that's what he's done. And he certainly takes coaching well. Brian Johnson, I think we've all found out, is a really good quarterback coach. Nick's offense is very fine. Shane, Shane Steichen deserves a lot of credit. And Jalen deserves a ton of credit for putting in the work, for recognizing the areas in his game that need to be improved. And he's gone out and worked on those areas. And there is still room for improvement. And he knows that. And I think that's what makes him such a great prospect. And at this moment, one of the leading MVP candidates in the NFL. You know, but this is not a finished product here. This is a, this is a man who's been starting for two seasons. There is better football inside Jalen Hurts. You know, you talk about the weapons that he has now. The Eagles have 16 rushing touchdowns. That matches the most by any team through eight games since the 04 Chiefs. It's their most rushing touchdowns after eight games since 1949. Talk about the commitment to the run with this team and how well Miles Sanders has played after getting oddly no rushing touchdowns last year for all he's done, finding the end zone a lot this season. Yeah, it's definitely a difference. I mean, look, Nick, we, we knew from his track record when he came from Indianapolis that running the football was important. And when you have this offensive line, why wouldn't you run the football? And I, I really give Nick a lot of credit. Last year, at about this time, he turned the offense over to Shane Steichen. And with that, a bit of a, a shift in the philosophy. And the Eagles really committed to running the football. And we see what they did. They led the league in rushing. They've come into this year intact offensively, adding A.J. Brown, understanding what a crazy good weapon he is, but still making sure that, like, there have been games, Arizona, Dallas, where the passing game just wasn't as, as consistent, as effective, and they turned to the run. And they won the game in the fourth quarter with a field goal drive against the Cardinals and then against Dallas a late-game drive to score a touchdown and put that game away. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, and Miles has been really secure with the football. He and I have talked a lot, and he spoke to me about his interest, his, his need, his emphasis on gaining more focus and applying that on a daily basis. And I don't know whether that means, you know, he's growing up or he's approaching things differently or, you know, he's kind of slowing down. Um, and just controlling the things that he can control. But whatever it is, you don't see the dancing, uh, the ball, no fumbles, knock on wood to date. So it is a different Miles Sanders. I think we'd all agree with that. And he's been terrific, averaging five yards a carry, 
six touchdowns, great in the red zone. The Eagles didn't go out and add a big running back at the trade deadline because they trusted Miles and, and the crew around him. And, I mean, a, a set, we, we all knew that Miles was a talented player, but the two things holding him back were injuries, and so he stayed healthy, thankfully. And then after that, false injuries, and he's been excellent, in fact, in fact flawless through eight games there. Let's talk about the defense for a second. You wrote about uh, Robert Quinn when the Eagles traded for him that he could help the Eagles in many ways and cited his relentless motor, his perfect fit in the locker room, and his depth to a pass-rushing group. What have you seen out of Robert Quinn since he's been here, and has he lived up, in, at least in the short time, to all of those things? No, not yet. Not yet. Uh, came in three days before the Steelers game and then a short week to prepare for Houston. So very limited sample size of Robert Quinn. And I really think that his presence will pay off down the line. We'll see him later in the season, in those moments, in the postseason, hopefully. So I think Robert Quinn's value will really be determined moving forward. But to this point, I mean, he really hasn't played a lot. He played 20 snaps in the first game maybe eight in the second game. So, no, it's, it, it's not been – he hasn't been used yet. He will be used. It's a great veteran addition, a proven player. He's got a little bit more integration into the defense and, and what the Eagles want him to do. So, I feel like, you know, it, it, when the floodgates open for Robert Quinn, that's just going to be another weapon to go along with Reddit and now Hargrave. And, and and Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox and Josh Sweat, et cetera, that the Eagles can can unleash to opposing passing games. And, and that's going to be – and look, Robert Quinn may make five plays between now and the end of the season. But I'm really sure that he will be there and those plays will be huge plays. And when the playoffs come, he'll be a valuable player. You know, one of the things we've just gone through is this Phillies run where the the locker room was so important. The way that these guys have bonded were so important. Are you seeing some of those same characteristics with this Eagles team? Oh, yeah. I mean, they're very together. And, you know, just a little anecdote, like Houston, game's over, media's in the locker room, and you are rushing out of there. I mean, our arrival time back to Philly was scheduled to be 5 o'clock. And... Um, the players were delayed. They, they didn't, they usually do interviews and then go get showered or they get showered and then do interviews. There were a large handful of players just watching Phillies in the playoffs. And I mean, like just, so like it all was like the synergy in the city, the sports synergy was just amazing. And, you know, I, I've been through many great runs for the Eagles, five NFC championship games, one Super Bowl appearance in the Andy Reid eras. Um, before that, Buddy Ryan turning the season around, and you know, Ray Rhodes having a little taste, and Rich Kotite winning a playoff game, 2017 Super Bowl team, so a lot of wins, and you know it, and you know the Eagles knew coming into the season that they had a chance to be a good team. They know now they have a chance to be a really special team, and you see the players, the leaders, uh, uh, really making sure that everything's buttoned up. Now I still contend, guys, that. You need to go through some adversity to really, really learn about leadership. So there's going to be bumps along the way. You know, the Eagles are going to have some very tough games. They're going to lose some games. Um, 
and then we'll find out about the leadership for sure. But, I did, but right now it's just humming, and, and nobody's taking anything for granted. And I think that it'll be a very, very tough game on Monday night against Washington, but I feel like the Eagles are going to play a good game. I did want to ask you about potential adversity. They do have some tough running backs coming up in their matchups, and if you look for, you know, obviously, an 8-0 team, you, you don't really look for weaknesses that much, but if you look at any areas that are have been in question a little bit, it's it's they've allowed 29th in yards per carry. Some people have asked questions about the tackling. How's the team feel sure. about kind of cleaning up some of those things that they've seen along this run that they may think might cost them as they get into more high leverage situations. Yeah, surely, you know, you can't be perfect on everything and they recognize that and they're certainly working on being better, more consistent against the run. Something that Jonathan Gannon told me prior to the bye week, prior to the Steelers game, that they had given up too many explosive run plays. And so, you know, it's not just all of a sudden Damian Pierce has a big game and, Houston runs for 160 plus yards, and oh boy, we got to worry about this. Well, in that game, Houston scored three points in the second half, and 17 overall. And sometimes you got to give up something. Um, so having Jordan Davis out, uh, hopefully he gets back at a reasonable time. He'll help. But I would imagine, guys, on Monday night, the front seven receiving as much criticism as it has and questions as it has about the tackling and the run defense. I would imagine a pretty inspired effort against the run is forthcoming. So, uh, and, and I'll be, I'll be, I'll go on record as saying that. And, and if the Eagles don't play well against the run, then, you know, then shame on me, but I would expect them to be much better against the run on Monday than they were last week. And in the big picture, um, I think this defense is really well equipped against the run against the pass. I, I think this defense is a top 10 defense and I really don't, it's, if the only weapon coming to town uh, for, you know, the Tennessee Titans is Derrick Henry, well, okay, I'll give. Up, I know I'm going to give up some to Derrick Henry, but if I'm only giving up 14 points a game, 15, 16 points a game, that's pretty darn good. And I mean, look, we can look at the tackling side of it, but uh, you know, that front seven last year they managed just 27, 29 sacks all season through eight games. They've already got 26 sacks, good for fifth in the league. So. They're getting pressure, they're getting sacks, they're getting interceptions, and look, the tackling will, will hopefully come along. Dave, we know it's going to be a crazy atmosphere down there on Monday night. Look forward to following your coverage, and always appreciate you giving us a few minutes to walk through it all. Hey, my pleasure. Salute to service night on Monday. Uh, should be very emotional, uh, dramatic pageant, and um, you know, uh, more commitment to the servicemen and women of our country. And guys, thank you for having me. Have a great weekend. Continue to enjoy the season. Have a great one. Good, good time. Man. Thanks great for what. Time. Really good football team here. Thanks for what you guys are doing for, to recognize veterans as well. Have a great one, Dave. Take it easy. All right, guys. Thanks. Take care. You know, Jeff, real fast, we talk about recognizing veterans. You were at the Rutgers game on Saturday night, and you told me a cool thing that they did up in the sky with a flag all of a sudden that you saw out of nowhere, right? Yeah, somehow Rutgers learned how to use drones. Look at you. You can't yeah. do anything without taking a shot. <laughs> you know, I, I try to be nice. I try to give a little bit Come there. on, you try. I try hard. It, it, it takes a that, lot of effort. That is poor really, effort. Really, a lot of effort. Oh, okay, no. rather than going to patriotic stuff. No, while we're here, we should, while you know, it's, it's Veterans Day. Yeah. We should thank people who have served and, and are veterans and, and what they've done. And, and it's great what the Eagles do. And um, it's great what some of these other organizations do to recognize them. It's never enough to say thank you for what they've done. No, but it's important to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's important to never forget that the, the things that we hold dear in this country 
are because of those people that serve on our behalf. Yeah, so thank a veteran today um, for what they're doing. Jeff, there are no easy transitions, sort of like Keith not being able to talk after we talk Covenant House. So before we leave the NFL. No, I wanted to stick to the NFL. Okay, we could talk about a former uh, coaching alum in Frank Wright. Because I got to tell you, I am thoroughly confused. I love Jeff Saturday when he's on ESPN. But how, I mean, Bobby Irsay is known as, or Jimmy Irsay, whichever Irsay it is these days. It's good to see somebody else grew up now. <laughs> no, because it's father and son. They're a little wacky that they think that it's a good idea to hire somebody who's never coached at any capacity in the college or pro level, who wasn't with the, wasn't a coach on this team. There are two more former pro coaches in the NFL oh, yeah. on that staff. Right. And neither, neither, and neither of them one got of jobs. Now, right. And neither one of those guys is now coaching the offense. No. They gave it to a 30-year-old. Who's never called plays in a game. Right. Uh, but to me, this is true. Look, I don't care. You know, ESPN has been tap dancing around this because they don't want to criticize their guy. So they kind of – like, if this wasn't an ESPN guy, they everybody would be all over this. But the fact is there's a Rooney rule, okay? And I know it doesn't apply in season. But Ursay doesn't plan to have him just here for the season. Exactly. Yeah. And so this is getting around the Rooney rule. Yep. And this is this for people that go, well, what's the big deal? The big deal is this is exactly what the problem is. You you have people in the good old boys network that are just hiring people that they know and they trust. And if you don't promote from within and you don't give people an opportunity to interview, they don't become part of that inner circle. And so you now have a situation where Jeff Saturday is coaching a team. I, I can I, I actually just saw an article during the break. Joe Thomas, the former offensive lineman oh, he from, ripped him. from Cleveland, has has been tearing them apart. Now I find some of his arguments specious. But. No, but but if you just focus on the Rooney rule and yes. you focus on It's concerning. The the other part of this is just these coaches spend 15, 20 hours a day, seven days a week, busting their butts, learning their craft working their way up step by step on the ladder and then all of a sudden Jeff Saturday walks in and I don't care how likable he is and I'm sure that all these coaches will be professional and all the players will be professional but if you don't think that they're all sitting there going what the hell just happened his results are irrelevant at this point he could win every game and make the Super Bowl and it still goes around the idea that the NFL wants to give people opportunities to advance in their job he never. But this is just another example of the NFL. They they cannot get ahead of anything. They no, are never. They are never Please. proactive about anything. Look what's going the, on. The, with the commanders, commanders put out a press release yesterday beating up the attorney general before the attorney general was going to announce charges. Which, that, by the way, I think we will get into one sec because I think that he, the AG totally overreached in right. terms of what he did. But, but the the. A- it's bad enough that they decided to attack the AG before the AG issued the report, so they didn't know what they were attacking. But it was the legal. It, I, no, did you no, enjoy it's how not they, legal. they blamed the law firm? No, that's not my concern. My concern is that they decided to drag a player, a player. who was shot into it, and, and the agent, and I'm assuming at the consent of the family, said, how dare you? Apparently basically. the team didn't like it either. They didn't. The players did not like that. Nobody likes that, it. Nobody likes Dan Snyder. Yeah, but it, this has all been going around outside of the players. The players have been playing football. Here you took one of their brothers. I don't know how their co- that coach took that job. I really don't. And and you injected him in as a shield for your misdeeds. And, again, I think the flaw here is that the AG overreached because by going after more than just the commanders – 
now you're forcing the NFL and the other owners. Well, you didn't even segue to that point. I just, I don't <laughs> think there's a segue. I think that it's a huge problem because it's going to let them off the hook. In well, the end, yeah, but the first part of this is the command, the, the press release from the commanders was repulsive. <laughs> okay, yeah. so that's the first part. Now, you're if right. you want to go to the second part of this, it, look, as an attorney, I can tell you that this wasn't exact. If I was in the AG's office, tell me about the genius legal strategy yeah, so, here. So, if I'm in the AG's office, uh, let's face it: the whole point of this is, this to, get rid, is to get rid of Dan Snyder yeah. for all the bad things also that he's headlines. done, right? But yes, but but if you just go to the less skeptic, skeptical explanation, it's to get rid of this bad guy and and hold him accountable for it. By saying that you're going to name the NFL, you create a situation where the NFL now has to align with him, which they don't want to do. You don't split them, which is what you should be trying to do. It is a very poor strategy on a whole bunch of levels. I didn't understand it at all. And it looks like the AG is basically trying to get the report that was quashed and not made public out in public what it looks like to me that they're going to take all of the things that were done there that was that were hidden mm-hmm. by the nfl and the commanders because they're saying they colluded to not Isn't to congress already investigating that that's how it's going to come out yes that's it's, if you put a report in enough politicians hand um, it's going to get and out this right is a civil suit like some of the things that went on are not civil matters well <laughs> So uh, let's just Dan Snyder is not a civil. No, person. let's leave that there, Jeff. We've got four minutes left. I want to make sure we talk union for a couple minutes because we covered them a lot this season. We've not the co- Carpenters Union. We've covered them for <laughs> years um, as this team has grown. You did not watch because you had no reception Rutgers, where you Michigan. were. Yes. You were watching Rutgers. It was an unbelievable game. It was a gut wrenching loss. Uh, Thought the Union won an extra time only to see them the LAFC tie it up and then the Union lose in penalty kicks. I don't know if there's a more heartbreaking way to lose a championship. Well, no, but that's not Union what you did. said. It, it was the way that you texted it that was perfect. That said that this they lost in the most Philadelphia way that you could lose. Oh, it, absolutely. Yeah. It was it was the And you gotta like, feel for Coach Curtin in that team because they just They've done everything right. If any team deserved to earn a championship, it was the Union. And I think you're going to see a lot of turnover on this roster. Why? Because Vog- why do you think? Because I think Wagner is going to go back to Europe. They sold Aronson. I think you're going to see some other players leave. We'll see who else they bring in. What other but young Paxton guys? Paxton didn't come. play this year. No, but he was one of the guys that would come up depending on what you do next. They, I was, I don't know if you saw. They actually didn't protect Alejandro Bedoya in the draft for St. Louis. Yeah, but that makes, not that, that I think makes, they're going to take him because of salary. He's been here forever. He's a great, probably the the most accomplished union player in history in the history of the franchise. But you saw he's he's wearing down, and so it makes sense to do that for people who said that um, soccer would never draw in Philadelphia. Football. Uh, Philadelphia helped the MLS Cup draw its largest U.S. TV audience in 25 years, 2.1 million viewers, the biggest since 1997 for the MLS Cup. Uh, in the Philly market, showed that Saturday's game was the most watched union game on any TV channel in the team's 13-year history. And during the penalty kicks, one out of every four TVs in the Philadelphia area was watching the game. And next year, the only place you can watch it is on Apple. Yeah, man. I don't, I don't know. I, look, that. I hope it works out for the MLS because the ML, 
as, as somebody who watched the Cosmos to date myself, okay, I saw I saw the Cosmos the, with the Pe- who with with Pele. <laughs> that's that's how long I saw them. But it, we've heard for generations that soccer was going to make it in this country. Soccer's finally made it. I it's think it's safe to say it. that. No, I think it's safe to say they made it. I don't think it's it's not Europe. Obviously, this is not Arsenal or Chelsea and all of those teams yet, and it may never be. But it's made it. It's it, it, soccer is now here to stay in the United States. Oh, I think so. I, I definitely think so. And look, you're getting close to the World Cup. The men's national team roster was announced. Now that might screw it up. Some surprises in terms of players being left off. The women's national team lost again last night. It's their first three-game losing streak since 1993. I, I think that this men's World Cup is going to be a disaster. Oh, you mean uh, the stick to sports in Qatar? Yeah, I, I think did you you're see gonna, the village so where many bad did you see the village where it looks like they're living in shipping containers? Uh, everything about it is bad. The, the, this, the things you can't say, the fact that they're monitoring, the fact that they're paying people basically to rat each other out if they say something bad about the country. The fact that you, you got to put the tracking pixel yeah, on your you can't, phone. You can't have alcohol. The, the, this this is taking us back decades. Uh, I'll leave it with Sepp Blatter, who was in charge of FIFA at the time, He's came out and said, for said, we made a mistake. Yeah. That's going to do it. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.